Well, welcome to Let's Talk About Thrones, where we get together and we talk about Game of Thrones. And we are now at season five of Game of Thrones. Today, we're going to talk about episodes 503, High Sparrow, episode 504, Sons of the Harpy. Once again, such a good pair that practically one scene just blends into the first scene at the start of the second episode, uh, almost as if it were the same. Well, it is pretty much the same time just a few minutes later. So we will start with 503. But before doing that, of course, we must introduce our talkers. And uh, I'm one of the talkers. I am Richard Gunther. And... I think I'm Sir Richard from somewhere, and I can never remember where. I am going to pass the greeting mic to Jenny. Well, I'm Jenny from the wilds of New Jersey today. <laughs> <laughs> is is that that south of Westeros? Is that a new continent, or is that just yeah. like a different land? It's, you created your own your own establishment in the in the river yeah. somewhere. There's a lake. I guess it's the lake lands. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and I'm just going to go ahead and pick it up here. I am Anth- Sir Anthony from Winterfell because Winterfell is huge and that way I can hide easier. Plus, I, I'm in Alaska, <laughs> so it, it just fits. It kind of does. <laughs> it kind of does. All right. Well, let's get started. We're going to take this again kind of by people's themes rather than trying to go as chronologically. So I want to start with Arya because the... Episode 503 starts with Arya. And once again, we see that Arya is kind of just trying to figure out what what's going on next in her life as she is potentially trying to become a nobody, a person of no name. What do you call these people who are living in the house of black and white? A girl with no name. A girl. Well, but they're all called men with no name. And interestingly enough, it's almost as if they reference that she would be a man with no name. Uh, I mean, who needs labels, right? Right. And and that's really what you strive for is there's that you don't have your own personal identity. You're an arm of the many faced God uh, in in everything that you do. So, yeah, she's she's picking up chores. She's she's starting to earn her keep around there. Right. Alas, she is a uh, an apprentice. And as we all know from the fabled story, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, they start by sweeping the floors. And then they get into trouble. It's, it's literally <laughs> exactly. it's literally just like military service. You start by sweeping the floors, you get in trouble, and eventually a door opens, and you go through that door, and you start doing something else until you get in trouble. Yep. Yep. So she sees some guy die. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we necessarily know all of the circumstances there, except that this person goes to the guy whose name I can never pronounce. And it's almost as if he's blessed by him. Mm. And then moments later, the dude's dead. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of almost it purposely leads you to not know exactly what's going on. It just gives you the overall to kind of fill in the blanks for yourself. And if you can't, then it doesn't really change the story, but it enhances it almost because now it builds in just a little bit more mystery. So Ari is frustrated. She's a little bit, I, I don't want to call her bratty, but she's getting a little bit frustrated uh, and, and uh, boisterous <laughs> about it. 
So eventually then she's in her, I guess I'll call them quarters. And another woman comes in and asks her who she is. And she says, I'm nobody. And she gets slapped. She's like, no, you're not. Who are you? I'm nobody. She gets slapped again. And then Jahar or whatever his name is comes in and and says, you're not ready. And yes, I am. I'm ready. Well, then why do you have Arya Stark's sword and Arya Stark's clothes? So she takes that challenge and gets rid of them all. Or, well, not Aww. all. Because, of course, she's not willing to get rid of Needle. Right. And she, it's not like she keeps Needle in her in her possession. She just stashes it away in a hole she conveniently found that's exactly one sword's uh, depth. <laughs> Uh, and put some rocks on it where maybe from her scene, she, her point of view, she couldn't see it, but it was clearly still a sword in there from the opposite angle from where the camera was. <laughs> also, that is so cheating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really cheating. And it's not like taking a stand and saying, you know, this thing is important in, a, in and of itself. Now she's concealing. Right. Because right? it wasn't just a matter of, OK, I'll, I'll put this somewhere where I'll remember she was actively concealing it, and I suspect she will then claim that she has discarded of it all. And when we next see her, she is then taken by through the secret door, where she is then just kind of quietly trying to figure out what she needs to do, which is apparently to help someone prepare or clean previously mentioned dead person for some reason and we don't know why <laughs> neither does Arya right and she actually starts asking questions that go unanswered <laughs> right <laughs> so. and and thus ends our ride with Arya through these two episodes yeah yeah um and you know it, this is one of those stories where just because it, it, you don't see Arya you can still fill in that she's doing these things like they've set the tone for Arya for the next little bit so, uh, next up, I, I want to skip Cersei, who it was kind of technically next, but there's a lot going on there, so I kind of want to hold off on that. Let's let's stick with the sisters. Let's let's talk about Sansa next. Okay. So, Littlefinger and Sansa are just you know taking a walk. They're on their way somewhere. It might be Winterfell. Who knows? Actually, they're overlooking some town of some sort, and I don't know what that is. Was that supposed to be Winterfell? It, it is Winterfell. Mm. It, it, well, it's it's. Was it? Uh, there's a little town right outside of Winterfell, but yeah, they're essentially. I, back, I think it's it, mul- no Horse Town or wherever the, wherever they go yeah. is for Winterfell for the horse. <laughs> yeah, where okay. wherever like. They found Tyrion back in episode whatever one. one. Yep. So they're overlooking Winterfell. She she doesn't seem all that excited to see it. She's like, it, it looks kind of terrible. And while they're overlooking this terrible version of Winterfell, Littlefinger is suggesting to her that, you know, you should probably marry this Ramsay guy. <sighs> right, which Sansa doesn't know, but... Everyone who's ever seen an episode with with him in it, it we all know that's just not a good idea. He's a monster. <laughs> he's, he's uh, and, and yeah, and later on, in in part of in like the the second episode, she actually mentions, well, uh, 
his father's a monster and and uh, uh, Littlefinger says something along the lines of, "Oh well, you, you can shape Ramsay." And I was like, ah, "That's I don't I don't know. That's how that's going to work out. Like that that doesn't." <sighs> the indications from the viewer are that uh, that's hmm, less likely than one might suppose. Now, question: One must assume one would not be naive. One must assume that Littlefinger knows exactly what Ramsay Bolton is like, right? It, <sighs> He at least I don't knows. Know. Yeah, he at least knows how Roose Bolton is, and you can't yeah. you can't think that his recently legitimized son is is has fallen far from that tree, right? So I don't. This this is one of those decisions. This whole story arc right here is one of the the if challenging. I were, yes, if if I were to put a black eye on the series, it's this storyline right here. Mm-hmm. It culminates gr- awesome. It, the, the the how it eventually finishes is amazing, but this is a really really rough sub story going on here. Yeah. All right. Okay. The, well, you know the selling so, of women. <laughs> yeah the the bartering the bartering right. of women the 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 who gives a crap about destroying land and just to try to rebuild it the, uh, everything about this whole series of events is just creepy McCreeperston. Mm-hmm. Right. Good way of describing it and. That just continues through this particular part of the story arc because it's essentially him saying, okay, I'm going to do what I can to marry you off to them because that's what they want. And and it could be good for you. I'm going to tell you the ways that it would be good for you. In fact, what will probably happen is, you know, eventually Stannis and his army are going to come and, and take over Winterfell anyway. So I'm kind of putting you in harm's way, but no, don't worry. It'll work out well for you because Stannis will need you. Stannis will want a Stark by his side and will name you something, something of the North. I forget what that was going to be. Mm-hmm. Wardeness of the North. Basically the female. Wardeness of the North. Okay, right. whatever that is. That it's, sounds like a made up title to me. It totally is. But here's here's the thing, though, on this whole process, like if you just to watch the Littlefinger Sansa part of this, he he says, okay, we're well, going to marry Ramsey. Uh, you'll be able to shape him how you need him. Oh, by the way, I'm getting the hell out of here. So when Stannis attacks, I'm not here, but he'll spare you. It's like... They needed a damsel to be in distress to rescue, so I'm going to put that in place. Then I'm going to exit the story. Like the, it, the, the, it almost seems like Littlefinger is starting to lose his sense of understanding how the world actually works, and he's mm-hmm. building a fairy tale for him to live in. Well, and what way to end a fairy tale but with a kiss? <laughs> Creepy McCreeperston. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, God. Here we go again with yet another. Uh, I'm going to assume unwelcome because she's she completely does not react to it. Right. Right. And it that was kind of like his icing on this cake of wordiness of the north that he just sold her. Such a weird awkward continued relationship so 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 friggin bizarre he kisses her in the crypts and that's the least creepy part about it yeah <laughs> yes yes when, yes yes oh when oh when will little finger get what he deserves just when um obviously he will based on the way you're saying that no i mean 
Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Winterfell, the, the, I don't say the Winterfell, the, um, the, the Littlefinger arc is like, it's, uh, it, it, there's so many just desserts that, that haven't formulated yet. Like he's started all of this. Remember that we now know that Littlefinger started the entire war. The whole, everything is, is started because of, of, of Littlefinger. When he when he mm. when he uh, uh, helped uh, Lady Aaron assassinate John Aaron, mm-hmm. you know that's what started all of this. That's what led uh, King Robert to go to the North to ask for Ned's Ned to be his hand. Like all of this started because of Littlefinger. Oh man, interesting. That's deep. I hadn't I had not made that association. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, 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 I remember yeah. he it was just in a recent episode that he said it. Well, because he was, he told Lady Aaron. Well, Lady Aaron said, you know, I put this stuff in his drink, in John's drink, and this and that. So uh, you, you told me that so we could be together. So he basically played off Lady Aaron, um, Liza Aaron, in order to kill John Aaron. And that was how this, how all of this started, was because John Aaron had died. So mm-hmm. Robert had to go north to get uh, Ned to become his hand. So, what was that thing you said? Chaos is a ladder? Yes, chaos is a ladder. And, man... Like this, this, this whole this, this almost could be called the Little Littlefinger show, except for the people in the mm-hmm. north that are dead and coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, now here's an interesting thing. That's a thing that was independently happening, right? Like we have no suggestion that anything about that is other than of the Nightwalker's own, you know, decisions. Meaning that they're not somehow also triggered by Littlefinger. They're not pawns little of Littlefinger, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> right. <laughs> that would be something, huh? Maybe we find yeah. that out in season eight. It, yeah. That that would be astounding. <laughs> All right. Well, let's not get too hung up. Anything else that we want to talk about as far as Sansa is concerned? That's pretty much where we leave her. Mm-hmm. Other than hang in there, sister. Yeah, yeah. yeah hang, she, on, hang in there. Oh well, I guess it's worth mentioning that Ramsey does promise Littlefinger that he will never hurt Sansa. Wait, I think I remember some other person claiming that he would never hurt Sansa. Who was that going to be? Um, the, oh, right, the obnoxious brat Joffrey. Right. Yeah. Well, that worked right. out well. It it it, it sure yeah. did. Yeah, she got rescued yeah. by by circumstance. I mean, it, absolutely, absolutely. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about Brienne and Pod. Let's have oh. a little bit of a side conversation because that it, this is what this is. This is a little character development. We find out a little bit more about Brienne's past. We find out a little bit more of Pod's past, and perhaps for the first time, Brienne actually respects pod and decides to kind of help train him i i I think it's so brienne and jamie had this special relationship they were kind of meant for each other in this special way brienne and pod have the same sort of relationship like their their entire existence would be different were not for the other person pod is learning so much and he's learning to to understand things and He's he's a sponge for knowledge, and he's he's been pulling 
this this knowledge unwillingly from Brian this whole time. And this is this is the first time Brian's like, okay, well, I can actually start treating you like a squire, and we'll we'll make this work. Meanwhile, Brian this whole time has been doing this this high high and mighty. I'm a loner. I can do everything by myself, and I don't need anybody. And this is the first time she's like, you know what? It it's actually valuable having you here. And this begins a really beautiful part of their, their relationship. And it, I think Brian is just a person that, that has to realize that she needs someone in order to need someone. It kind of recursive, but I, th- I think I'm getting my point across. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Yep. Makes sense. All right. Now we have a lot of stuff going on up at Castle Black. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of go through that stuff. And, and we're really seeing John for the first time as the leader of the Night's Watch. What is that title again? Lord Commander. Lord Commander. That's a good title. I it's, like that. It's like two strong things smashed together. Should we call together. you that from now on? Lord Commander Richard. Absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> but it does mean All you right. have to always drive the podcast. <laughs> no, forget it then. I don't want that title. Uh, too, too late. You've been voted. Yep. I don't Still have voted. that much Dirty honor. Rule. All right. So, uh, uh, Honorous John is now in command and he's he's in a position where he needs to show in the course of two episodes that he can, in fact, command this group of uh, tired and, to some extent, disenfranchised uh, Night's Watch people. What what do we call them? What are they're not knights, right? What are what are they? Um, the Watchers on the Wall. The, watchers. the Watchers on the Wall. The, the the Night's Watch Watchers. Okay, <laughs> I'll come up with a less redundant that like way a, of that referring to that. That sounds like a seventy song by like. I don't know who. Are you a speed wagon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we start with John where we left off, where, again, Stannis is trying to convince him to come with him and fight with him. And he declines Stannis's offer. Mm-hmm. And then we see Stannis's... I, I can't remember the name of the guy that's working with Stannis. Oh, um... The Davos. So so then Davis tries to convince John that no he's you know he really is trying to do the right thing you should help him this is a good thing don't you want this you're meant to do this and John turns that down and then not you know we're not going to leave it there one more try Melisandre Decides that she's going to try to convince him to join their cause. She takes a a little bit of a different approach, though. She tries to seduce him, right? Like, oh, I know you know what this does, and I know I know you know how the uh, how a woman's body feels. Let me show you mine. Do you do you not understand that John's all about the honor? Like, she, I don't understand how she thought that would work. She probably should have tried magic, even though he was not interested in that either. Uh, put a pin in that one. But um, yeah, this is this is her <laughs> trying to come on to his, his male side and trying to lure him away. And he still has, has these feelings for grit. So he's, he's still loyal to this lost love, even if, it's, if, if his loyalties to the Night's Watch failed for Egret. 
he still holds his loyalty to her as well. So he doesn't let her persuade him. Um, and then she goes to leave and she drops a bomb, like this little tiny bomb that just kind of makes John go, what the hell? She says on her way out the door, you know nothing, Jon Snow. Oh. Well, Igrit uh. well, never met, uh, 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 what's her name? The lady in red, Mel- Melisandre. Uh, Melisandre. Uh, yeah. So if, how did Melisandre get that, get that little quote right there? If, uh, <laughs> a Harry Potter reference, priori incantatum, but on Jon Snow's face. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that was uh, he. Hmm. That, that that leaves John a little bit spun right there, but uh, that's 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 John's place to be actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think John works best when he doesn't quite know best what's going when on. Spun, much like cotton candy, <laughs> and and title, <laughs> and scene. All right. Uh, so yes. other things that John's doing while he's in control. Well. He names Alistair as First of the Watch. Is that right? Do I have that title right? Um, I actually wrote it down here. Let me find it. Uh, I believe so. And then he he uh, asks Lord Jenna Scaredy Cat to, um, <laughs> to go take over a certain area that, that basically needs to be rebuilt. And Lord no, Scaredy Cat... The, the- it's like basically the the end of the wall by the sea. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Uh, well, Lord Scaredy Cat doesn't want to go do that. He he says no. He's he's refusing the Lord Commander's order. Yep. And John says this isn't a a suggestion. This is a command. Are you going to defy me? And he he makes a big scene. Yes, I am. Of course, this is Lord Scaredy Cat. But you know, he's right. putting on a big show for everybody. And, well, John kind of calls his bluff and just to get down to it, doesn't show mercy, cuts his head off. Yep. Prison rules. This was an interesting interesting scene in that immediately beforehand, um, John is told, hey, you're going to have to do something with them because they're going to try to usurp you in some way or shape or form. They're going to undermine your authority. Yep. So John has this thing, this one chore was it like uh, cleaning out the uh, digging in a new uh, 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 poop latrine? Yeah, poop latrine. Um, and he looks at Alistair Thorne and then directs it <laughs> directs it to someone else, and then appoints Alistair Thorne as first man of the watch or whatever. Which and, is smart. Which which, which wraps which kind of you know opens the fold a little bit. Like hey, here's here's a here's an olive branch. Let's let's work this out. I'm not de- you know going to demean you. I understand yep. where you are and and the authority that you hold. So I'm going to get you into my fold. But at the same time, Jeno Slint is a complete. Uh, he he's a seed of doubt, and he's the he can feed. Uh, Alistair Thorne, these little tidbits and keep this this uh, rebellion uh, in the mental rebellion going. So he's going to send General Slint away, and of course he sends him way the hell away and basically challenges his his dignity and uh, and, and his fear. Um, General Slint folds and says, "No, I'm not going to go." They go to get, grab him because defining defying the Lord Commander's orders is punishable by death, and. Um, that you guys, leads him it's a dire to wolf. 
that leads John to go get John Snow. Either either accept it or or punish him for it, and he goes and he punishes him for it. And at the end, Jonathan is begging for mercy, begging for mercy, begging for mercy. But John has a statement to make, and he makes it. Oh. And I didn't think he would. I didn't think he would go through with it. So I think that's a big moment when he actually goes through with it there. Big, smart move. Now, one more thing happened with John, and that's simply that he kind of had to agree with uh, Sam coaxing him a little bit to get some help from Bruce Bolton because they don't have enough men up there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Sam, Sam tried to get it all on the slide too. He tried to just slide the paper in there. Without... Hey, here, sign these twenty things. <laughs> Wait a minute, what's this one? Damn. <laughs> yeah, um, but true to his word, he wants to bolster the wall, so he signs the letter and sends it off. Yep. So a lot, of, a lot of good scenes with John. I, I think we've kind of established now that. He is in command. He is actually doing a pretty good job. I thought he would immediately hate the limelight, but he seems to have taken well to it and did made the hard decisions, which I thought would be harder for him to make than they demonstrated. So I'm kind of happy about that. And even as Lord Commander, he's down with the with the uh, the watchers, uh, the watching the watching watchers. He's down with them doing physical training, doing sword play, and he's not just directing it. He's partaking in the training itself because he knows he's the probably the best swordsman they have there. He's the one with the classical uh, garrison training and everything else. So he's taking a firsthand uh, approach to making sure that his men get trained properly. Um, yep. Yeah, and also like on the tough, tough authority situation, it's so much easier to be mean and a jerk when you're doing it on behalf of your job than when you're doing it for yourself. And I think that's what you're seeing in John. Whenever he's in a leadership position, he does not have a single problem in being on charge. It's just when he's, uh, you know, trying to be a good person. Good point. Good point. All right. Want to take a quick two minute trip to Crazyville? <laughs> There's so many of them to take. Uh, which one do you want to go with first? <laughs> so, uh, dude who is trying to resurrect the mountain is killing rats. And we see what we assume to be the mountain stir on Frankenstein's table. Ugh. Weird, 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 weird. And now we have Franken Mountain. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and that's pretty much all there is to that. That's y- it. Yeah, yeah, that's that. Uh, but it, but, and this is, um, yeah, this is just totally creepy. This fits right in with with uh, with with him t- taking the skulls. Like, no, 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 give me the dwarf head. Put it right over here. Um, yeah, the, uh, so gross, so gross. I'll take that. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So moving on. <laughs> moving on. Can we talk about Jamie? Oh, please. Yes, let's. He's very delightful. <laughs> All right. And seriously, who would expect that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, this monster is actually doing something respectable, going after his daughter. Oh, I'm sorry. His niece, yeah. in quotes. 
Yeah. Did you like and, how Braun challenged him on that? And oh, did, absolutely. Braun does damn well what's going on. Yep. So we first see Jamie when he and Braun are on this merchant ship and they're just bantering about, okay, why are we doing this? Like, of all people, why are you doing this? This makes no sense. Oh, well, I have to go after my niece. Oh, your niece? <laughs> and so we later see them. They, now they're rowing on a small boat on their way to land, presumably. Next we see more banter. Next we see them on land and... They're continuing to have some discussions. Bron saves Jamie from a snake that was about to probably bite and kill him. Yeah. And then shortly thereafter, they are they're about to be found. So they basically let themselves be discovered by some horsemen on Dorne. Try to talk at, their way at, out of it. At Dorne. Yeah. What's that? They try to talk their way out of it. And right, it's they're basically figuring they'll be able to fight their way out of it. Brun asks Jamie, "How many can you take on? One if he's slow." Yeah. <laughs> so, so Brun ends up taking on the rest when they do, in fact, turn on them. And they, it was, I think, a really cool fight scene. We get a, a horrific moment. Again, I, I hate when we see any any animal violence mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that Bronn attacks one of the soldiers is by cutting off the legs of its of his horse. Yep. And that's kind of that's just just awful. But to me, that's like, like not a, fair play. Well, it's because it's not what an honorable person would do. But keep in mind, we're right. talking about Bronn here. He's, who's a, a, he's a yeah. survivalist, not an honorist. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly, exactly. And then we get what I think is a really good fight sequence with Jamie. Yes. And, and again, going back to season one, we told you, don't look at these fight scenes as the end all because they get better. And here we have expertly uh, shot. It gives you kind of multiple multiple views of the shot from down the hill, from up top, from behind Jamie, from you know facing Jamie. And the choreography is amazing, and the the flow of the battle itself, it feels realistic. It feels like you're almost there watching it. Yes. And you're feeling for Jamie, like Jamie's defending his life. His, his, he, he's at a disadvantage, and he manages to fight pretty well and kind of has a, basically wins the fight with a twist, when he uses his fake hand to grab the sword coming at him. Right. Which is like one of those things. Why didn't you think of that before? <laughs> like, like, shouldn't you have a, a, a battle version of that golden glove that's kind of a little more open to where you could use it a little more effectively? But, you know, maybe instead of being completely made of gold, it's got some, uh, some, some, some wrought iron in there, something a little stronger than the soft gold of his hand, you know? I just... Yeah, this is one of those things, like, when it happens, it's like, why wasn't he doing that the whole time? Why weren't they training that way? That's Talking about being able to throw somebody off, yeah, you're missing a, your, your good arm, but they not, they're not used to people being able to grab their blades. Come on, man. Right. That was really cool. I love that. So he ends up killing that guy, and they're now in a position where now they need to uh, proceed to the city so that they can get his 
quotes, niece. Now, Brian, meanwhile, is asking him, what's to make you think that that ship captain didn't sell us out? A bag of gold. Oh, right. Yeah, a big bag of gold. Don't worry about it. Well, yeah, Brian was right. Basically, the ship captain did sell them out, as we see in a scene with Alaria, where she and some sand snakes are basically making the decision to go to war and uh, avenge Oberyn. Mm-hmm. And it- they know that Jamie's on the way because, sure enough, there's... Well, well, he's only alive for, I don't know, maybe 67 seconds, something like that. <laughs> he, but there's the ship captain. They, they have him buried in the sand with just his head exposed, with a rag around his face, uh, or around his mouth so he can't talk, and scorpions in and around his head while he's got a bucket over his head maintaining the scorpions right there. Like, this is the uh, the, old, the old rat burying its way through the belly thing, except kind of opposite of that. Like it, it's it's genius. It shows their the viciousness of the sand snakes, and then when Alaria is like, "Are you in or out?" and the one uh, sand snake throws her spear through the captain's head. Well, okay, I guess that answers the question. These are some bad bitches, and they're coming. <laughs> oh, I'm in. You know, I'm very in. <laughs> my only issue with the sand snakes is that it always seemed like everything that happened with them was in a snow globe, right? Like. It, it, it doesn't ever feel connected to the rest of the storyline. Right. So it always feels like, tangential. And forever. I mean, they're cool, but they're like cool in the desert and no one's paying attention. Yeah. They, it, as their story goes along, they could have been better u- utilized as a mm-hmm. theme in the story. However, as tangential as they are to the main arc of the story, it's still important that they're there. So it's yes. they're they're in this like muddy middle ground where we want more of them or we want them gone, but they never quite fulfill what we feel they should do. But the story wouldn't move along the way that it does without them. So yes, yeah. Uh, so for future producers out there, more sand snakes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Plus they're okay. not they're not hard on the eyes, even with their weird armor and stuff. Uh, I'm just saying. Um, sure. And, all right. and, and these are all Oberon's children. These are all Oberon's bastard yeah. children from different mothers. So you have his sister, wife, lover thing. Uh, and then the three underlings are all his, his bastard daughters. Got it. Okay. I didn't realize that that was another incestuous royal family thing going on there. I, I don't know that it's not, but I can only imagine as free love as they are in Dorne. Uh, that it, it's more likely to be than not to be. I wish there was a podcast for faces I'm making right now. <laughs> <laughs> just call it faces I'm making right now, and it's a silent podcast, but I'm just making faces. Mm. Oh! You can just hear the, the ruffling of a shirt moving as you make the different faces. Yeah, just like shaking my head. You could no. totally do something with that. You should, you should look into that. You should totally do something It'd be, it'd be in the, yeah. a, the ASMR like to the extreme, right? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, all right. Anything else with the Sand Snake Weird Dorn people? Mm, I think that's it. I think that's all they, yeah. uh, they accomplished this time around. Okay. Let's talk about my favorite character, Tyrion. Mm. Tyrion's had enough of the box. He gets out of the Winnebago and wanders in. What did, what did you call this place? The Long Bridge to somewhere? 
Uh, yeah. The, uh, it was in Temporary. The, yeah. <laughs> 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 so there's this long bridge that also apparently has housing on it and, and markets and stuff like that. A lot of people out the, on this the, bridge. And the he's long bridge of Volantis. The long bridge of Volantis. Okay. He, he's wandering around and trying to convince Varys that it's safe. They'll be fine. They won't be spotted. Look, I'm just another drunk dwarf. How's anybody going to notice me? But he does get noticed because he goes into a brothel where Jorah happens to be hanging out, watching a bunch of people kind of ogle over a fake Queen Daenerys in the brothel. Right. Such... A weird, sick scene. I mean, it just goes along with the whole roleplay fantasy that a lot of people interject, except this is available on demand. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sure. Yeah, so we get some interesting wordplay, as we always do with Tyrion. Nothing that was notable enough that I wrote down. But he does talk to some woman there who he pretty much then ends up just leaving. Uh, he's like, nope, can't do this. I'm, I'm going to go. Has a quiet moment by himself, peeing in off the, or out of the window of I, I, what I presume to be a room where he's staying. And we see Jorah come up behind him and capture him. Mm-hmm. Jump to the next episode, the first scene, and in fact, Jorah has basically kidnapped him and taken him aboard some boat that he steals. Right. Because that's what Jorah does. He's a smuggler, right? Oh, no, he's a slaver. Kind of the same thing. (laughs) So eventually, Tyrion wakes up. These two talk. And whoa, 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 whoa. Tyrion wakes up and decides he needs to talk, but he's got a gag in his mouth, so he starts so humming. So he starts singing, yeah, just with a gag in his mouth to annoy Jorah enough to take the gag out of his mouth. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. And then only to find out that Jorah is taking uh, Tyrion to his queen. Oh, by the way, the same place that Tyrion was already going, and Tyrion's, Tyrion's <laughs> right. reply to that. Oh, what a great waste! Oh, what a what a waste of a great kidnapping! <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That was a good line. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I love that moment where he's like, uh, "We're all going to the same place. This is exactly where I was headed." <laughs> yeah. That was funny. That was really funny, and that's pretty much it for Tyrion. But that's a good transition to Danny, because this is when we get back to see uh, Daenerys just blissfully looking out over the land, imagining that everybody's so happy, but people aren't really happy. In fact, you know, we yep. have this whole group of people that want to play these fighting games where they're going to end up killing each other, but she doesn't want to have it, and. She can't be convinced that these traditions are important to the people. Meanwhile, the sons of Harpy are attacking again and set a trap for her soldiers. Yeah, this is this is one of those things where 
the blissful ignorance of one's own station comes back to ha- ha- haunt them. Mm-hmm. And they they make the assumption that oh we've got control of the city we're in, we're we're peacefully controlling the city with our presence until the presence itself is what is the presence itself is what people are trying to defy and that comes down to a lot of blood a lot of blood so an outnumbered group of soldiers do hold their own fairly well with a continually coming, it seems like never-ending supply of you know, a dozen more sons of Harpy just keep on flowing in. And eventually we're in a position where Grey Worm's life is in danger. And we see Barristan Selmy, I believe that's who that was, right? Mm-hmm. Who went down into the city really just to kind of walk in the city and and be seen and make sure that things are going okay and they're not going okay he hears the fight he comes to gray worm's aid fights heroically and gets killed mhm i hated this death yeah this, I hated it, but as soon as he went in there, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah, this is kind of the stern moment for anybody that's read Dragonlance. Um, the the valiance is rewarded by the valiant death, and that's that's never never happy. And we also don't necessarily know whether Grey Worm survives at the end of this episode, although it seems unlikely that his injuries were as dire as the stab through the heart that Barristan and Selby had. <laughs> right. And, and this is kind of foreshadowed earlier in this same episode when Peter is talking to Sansa in the crypts and she says, well, Rhaegar Targaryen, the last riders of the day for the, the ceremony were Rhaegar Targaryen and Barristan and Selmy. And they go at it, Barristan and Selmy loses, and Rhaegar goes and lays the wreath of winter roses at Lyanna's feet. Um, so it's, it's kind of foreshadowed in that way, uh, even though it's still unexpected when it happens. I somehow missed that entire conversation. Yeah. Like well, if that's what they were discussing in the catacombs, yeah. that, that was just, that went right over me. Yeah. There's actually, th- that scene is one that you will revisit. Now, now that you know that Bears and Somebody dies, you can go back and revisit that scene there. And there's a certain look on Peter's face that gives away another secret that won't actually come out until season six. Like Peter knows too much. And yeah, Peter, Peter is Peter. Baelish? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, put, Again, a, put a pin in that, back to Peter. yeah, put a pin in that one as well, because once some things come to light in season six, or might, maybe even season seven, you can go back and watch that scene, and there's a certain look on his face at the end of the conversation where you now know that he knows more than what you think he knows. So, hmm. okay. Okay. Pin, pin, uh, pin distraction averted. What happens next? All right. Well, so we're basically cool. left with the world around Cersei. <laughs> And there's a lot of shit going down around there. It's almost the world according to Cersei because she's really, she really does a number on several people. She's starting to place pawns uh, all over the world in in control of exactly where she wants them to be. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. All right. So we basically start these episodes 
with Cersei really unhappy about the attention that Marjorie is getting as she's marrying Tommen in what is arguably the shortest wedding in any of the Game of Thrones episodes that we've watched. Yeah, what color would you assign this one? What color? Yeah, because we got the red wedding, we got the purple wedding. This is. Uh, how about green? As in, Tommen is kind of green. There we go. The green wedding. Also, it's it's the most innocent of all the weddings because nothing happens outside the wedding. I, I would call it the illegal in any modern society wedding. <laughs> <laughs> you're married. You're married. Kiss. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, your your bastard child from your brother who's underage is married. Never mind. Anyway. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, it's like you can't even, I can't even go back far enough to figure out where that went bad. So if if that was the first scene someone had seen and you had to explain how it got to that point, that would be, (laughs) whiskey would have to be involved for any understanding of, of that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was their wedding. And then very quickly we're in their wedding night or they're, they, I guess they just finished. He just finished having his first sex, yes, and is absolutely amazed by it, and just wants to do it forever from now on. That's all he wants to do anymore. Welcome but, to being thirteen. But alas, <laughs> but alas, his wise queen Marjorie reminds him that he needs to be king now. There are important things that he needs to think about. Oh, and by the way, your mother, Cersei, it's adorable that she's still here and looking after you while you're king. Is that really what you want? Yeah, she starts That's playing her... That's the first thing I did to my mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> this is Marjorie moving her pawns around. And it's just, it's, yeah, it's beautifully constructed. The way she brings it up at the moment of of ecstasy for for, uh, Tommen, like everything's just flowing in all cylinders for her right now. You guys, my podcast, Silent Faces I'm Making During This Discussion, is just taking off. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, she's already recorded five episodes, unbeknownst to anyone. Five episodes of silent disgust. Yeah, it's a mini series. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a micro podcast. <laughs> oh, oh man. wow! So, so, so Margie, Marjorie, and Cersei get an opportunity to talk. Cersei kind of walks into Marjorie, who I guess is telling her her what would they be her her friends her court? What would you call these women that she's? Hanging with, giggling with, presumably about her first time with little Tommen. Her yeah. ladies in waiting. Her there ladies you go. in waiting. There you okay. go. Uh, and this this is the first time they start power playing each other, mm-hmm. uh, meaning Marjorie and Cersei. Yep. They power play each other, and Marjorie comes out on top on this one, and it doesn't sit well with Cersei at all because as Cersei's no. getting ready to leave, Marjorie asks her, "So if I'm the if I'm now the queen." What does that make you? Dang. Yeah, it's it's not a pretty place. So, um and she does it in in a very um 
it, it's a controlled a clever, and manipulating way. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, she doesn't come out and say that. She's like, I forget. What am I to call you now? Yeah, she. She. It's very coy. She's. It's very sly. It's, it's beautiful. And then again, rapid sequence of scenes here. Next thing we have. Oh, conveniently enough, Tommen is asking his mother as they walk along the shores. Are you sure you don't want to go back home? Wouldn't you much rather be at Casterly Rock? Yeah, exactly. Isn't it time you uh, returned home to to Nest? That that goes well, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So um, now we get into the rest of Cersei's power play. Yeah, so we have this weird scene where the High Scepter is in the brothel. And the sparrows kind of invade the brothel and and drag him out of there and shame him. And that somehow leads us to Cersei. Yeah, well, this is... Uh, Help! So, so, <laughs> I, like, I, I don't understand how that happens. She decides that she's going to go pursue the head of the sparrows, the high sparrow, if you will, and just kind of make nice with him. I, I just, I, I don't understand where this came from. It seems like some, the situation just co- conveniently landed in her lap by no specific effort of her own. This was really more a matter of Cersei is very smart when it comes to the ways of the game and she sees a new player and she wants to get that player into her fold. She wants to have that player on her team. So instead of ignoring um, the, the, the high sparrow, she goes and approaches him and says, Hey, we can work together. I can get help you get what you want and you can help me get what I want. Although she doesn't say that that's essentially what, what comes out of it. And it, she's right because th- this is another pawn for her to play. Um, and, and she can kind of make, make those moves now because the high sparrow is not necessarily on her side, but understands her value. Oh, and by the way, it, it just so happens that the high sparrow is played by Jonathan price. Brilliant. I, I love him as an actor. So I'm, I'm actually really excited to see where that goes, but his interest is, yeah, he just, you know, they exist basically to punish those who sin. That That's what they want to do. They just want to punish the people that are sinning. Yes. If, if you've ever wanted to see someone play wicked, tricksy, and passive aggressive all at one time, this is the, this is the role of a lifetime for you. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I was I was really glad to see that. So so she's getting in bed with him metaphorically only, of course. And well, I don't know why I say of course, but um, shame, it, Richard. The idea, the idea being that shame. Yeah, <laughs> the, the priest the, shame. The, the the idea being that she could use someone that's going to go help her expunge. Some bad people. Oh, and by the way, I know of someone who's really, really bad. I mean, me, yeah, it's rumored that I might have had a few kids with my brother, but we're not going to talk about that. We'll instead talk about uh, my my other brother's former lover, yeah. Loris. 
this is oh my gosh the way this goes down because she she first of all she rids herself of um what's his name from Dorn her master of coins she says the iron bank needs to needs to be renegotiated with so why don't you go and do that and uh, of course she sends him with uh, Illyrio Martel is it Illyrio uh, with one of her swordsmen. And that's not going to end well. Everybody knows it, but he's giddy because he gets to go talk to the Iron Bank. So he leaves. Oh, right. And by the way, one fewer person, one less person, sorry. Oop. Wow. Wow. That was bad. Of all the shows to do that wrong on. One <laughs> less person on the small council. Yes. And uh, the, <laughs> the, the comment is made, the small council grows smaller every day. And her response it's not small not enough. Not small enough. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, she confronts the High Sparrow, and he says, well, I'm here to uh, rid the world of, of evils and this and that. And she says, well, you used to have the faith militant that was, that was armed and could, you know, had the, the, the will of the king to, or the power of the king to follow the will of the Lord. And she says, well, what if, uh, what if I could help you get that? And he's kind of passive about it. And then she says, well, what if I could tell you someone who's riddled with sin, hidden behind the veil of gold, and whose title and powers have enabled him to continue sinning, and I could deliver that person to you? And that, In pe- other words, my dead brother's former lover. Wasn't <laughs> <laughs> uh, that much easier? Come on, that's a much easier way of saying that. Right, but the way she frames it, she's talking about herself <laughs> at the same time. Oh, see, I didn't even catch that symbolism. Okay. Yeah, she's literally talking about herself, but she frames it in the way in which the the faith militant now goes and grabs Sir Loris, and um, well, now they have him, and Marjorie's not happy. No, understandably, Marjorie's not happy, and she knows who's behind this. Clearly, Cersei has done this. She confronts Tommen. Tommen says, "Oh, well, I will put an end to this." Tommen confronts his mother. His mother says, I'm not holding Loras. What what can I do? You're the king. Meanwhile, she's the one who's been, you know, playing all the cards and, and uh, making all the moves. Why don't you go talk to the High Sparrow? So he goes out to talk to the High Sparrow. And here is the scene where it's just heartbreakingly obvious how ill-prepared he is for the position he's in. Yeah, basically the faith militant are protecting the stairs to the septon, and they say, well, the high sparrow is praying, so you can't go in, and Tom just backs down, says, well, we'll find And his guard says, we'll clear them. Right. He says, well, what do you mean, kill them? Yeah. And he's like, no, we'll... We'll figure out another way. Meanwhile, all of the people in the street, as he made his way there, are jeering him, calling him bastard and abomination. And it made me wonder, does he have any awareness whatsoever of what the people think of him and know of how he was conceived? Right. Does he know how he was conceived? Right. Like, it's a big ball of mystery to to try to unravel, and it doesn't turn out very well. Yeah. So uh, that was a... And, you know, he goes back to his quarters and goes to 
see Marjorie, and Marjorie's understandably unhappy. So she's like, no, I'm going to go be with my family. I'm going to deny you me while you figure this out for me. Because this is how you train dogs. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> I really, I felt for Tommy because this was, this was a, I, th- I think a hard moment for him where he realizes he, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't have the guidance of his grandfather. He's being manipulated by his mother, whether he's aware of it or not. I sus- I think he may be, but doesn't necessarily want to admit it. Yeah. And now he's losing the one thing that he cares about, his wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just, that's Tom in a nutshell. Oh, that was sad. All right. So that was pretty much it for most of the story here. There was one thing that we forgot to talk about up at the wall, a tender moment with someone who is not known for being tender. Yeah. Stannis and his daughter, um, Maureen. Is it Maureen? No, not Maureen. Shireen. 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 There we go. Um, I only know that because I wrote it down. I mean, I'm... (laughs) I'm still never going to remember all these names. <laughs> uh, you get you get Shireen's uh, uh, origin story. Basically, how she got the grayscale is basically a, a trick by a trader who Stannis didn't want to deal with because he had crap goods. Um, got a little doll. The doll was infected with grayscale, however. So when she pushed it to her cheek as an infant, she caught the grayscale. He called in every maester. They stopped the infection from spreading to other people and to the rest of Shireen's face and body. And that was it. And that was, it was kind of like a, uh, everyone wanted to get rid of you, and I kept you here. I'm proud of you. I love you as my daughter. And um, it's not that that you aren't appreciated. It's just that people don't know how to show it. And so he shows so it in that moment. He, he is asked, are you ashamed of me? He never answers that question. He tells the story. He says, you are my daughter. You are the princess of whatever. But he never says no. And that bothered I mean, me. Let's be clear. Stannis is a dick. <laughs> and even when she runs into his arms, he stands there with his arms down and then kind of eventually returns something of an embrace. And again, this whole scene was placed here for foreshadowing, and it's it's one double of the, foreshadowing. Yeah, it's one of the deepest, saddest um, storylines to develop. And uh, uh, man, we're getting we're, we're getting ready to get into some some very powerful um, story arcs here. And but also, you know, it, I won't say what, but it is foreshadowing an entirely separate storyline, which is actually so awesome. Yeah, yeah. It, All right, good. Yeah, which I mean, two for the price of one, which I think is like really great writing. Yeah, there's. Yeah. So good. All right. We're not going to go into that any further now because we have more episodes where we'll be talking about other episodes of Game of Thrones. Next time we're going to talk about 505 and 506. And we're looking forward to that. But in the meantime, if you you people that are listening, if you want to tell us what you're thinking or you have questions for us, Anthony, where do they send all all of those messages? I know that it's been hard for you to keep up 
with all the mail we've get, been getting. But I think you should tell them again anyway, because I, I don't want to just shut it down for fear of it getting filled up. It's let's talk about thrones at gmail.com. Just write us an email that says, I'm here. <laughs> kind um, of like a, uh, what was what was that movie? We are here, we are here, we are here. The Lorax. Mm-hmm. We know there's an audience out there somewhere. Before before we close this out, <laughs> I, I want to say that this, this season, uh, The Wars to Come, The House of Black and White, the, the titles for the first couple of episodes followed right along with the episode. This one was The High Sparrow and Sons of the Harpy. Again, follows right along with the episodes. That's a trend yep. that is going to continue. And the next two episodes, Kill the Boy and Unbo- uh, Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken, maintain that thread. Mm-hmm. It's they're, they're starting to be descriptive, and it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. All right, good to know. I will look for that. So in the meantime, where can people look for you, Anthony? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Ethan Kane, E-T-H-A-N-C-A-I-N-E. Jenny? I'm doing so much. Uh, <laughs> you are. The most, the most interesting thing I'm doing right now is writing a little newsletter about uh, independent podcasts, the ones that you don't hear about, the ones that aren't on the chart, but the ones that are still changing people's lives, and it's called All the Other Podcasts. And it's it like is the kind of weekly. podcasts that we do. Yeah, I know. It's pretty cool. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, I just was frustrated and fed up with the fact that, you know, there isn't an outlet for that. So I made one. So you can subscribe. You have this graphic uh, in your, I, I don't know if you're using it in every newsletter, but I saw it in the first one where you basically point out how, you know, all the big names, the NPRs and all of those companies, when, when the populace thinks of podcasts, that's who's getting recognized. My and favorite then, moment of putting this uh, newsletter out was I posted it on Facebook and I was like, it's all about independent podcasts, the podcasts you don't hear about, this, that, the other thing. And one of my like distant cousins wrote, have you heard of Serial? <laughs> they were like, have you heard of Dirty John? And I was like, uh, uh, yes, thank you for these recommendations. Yes. As a matter of fact, you just made my point. As, as, yeah. as, as people wade their way into the pool of podcasting and they start becoming uh, f- comfortable with what's there, it's the central podcast that they always gravitate towards. And there's so many others on the outskirts that are impactful, entertaining, and just fun to listen to and that you can get something out of. And that's what the, uh, the, the newsletter is about. It's ridiculous. It's good. And it's three newsletters in so far. And I've enjoyed so far, all yeah. three of them. They're, they're amazing. Well, uh, sure. you know, find me on JennyJ23 on Twitter and you can find a link to subscribe. Yep, yep, yep. And, right, good and, stuff. And then you can find me at Richard Gunther on Twitter. And I just got back from CES. So a lot of my recent posts are CES or tech-related, including a video episode that we just did of the show I co-host, Entertainment 2.0, recorded on the floor at CES, which was a lot of fun. So that is going to do it for us this week. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time when we talk again of Thrones. Talking of Thrones. Bye-bye.
T-U-A-L-M-I-S-E-L-Y. And and Ginny just Ginny just said goodbye in one of her faces. I did. I did. I did a face goodbye.